0: want to speak from Isaiah chapter 57 and verses 19 to 21 which I will repeat Isaiah 57:19 to 21 I create the fruit of the lips peace peace to him that is far off and to him that is near saith the Lord and I will heal him But the wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. If you want a a title, the title is No Peace, No Peace to the Wicked. I haven't heard it for a long time, but it used to be quite a common thing to say. You would often hear someone complaining about all the work that they had to do and uh, in a humorous way they would say something like, well it's nice talking to you but I've got to go, no rest or no peace for the wicked. Well that's taken from the King James Bible. Here and from the almost identical verse in Chapter 48, 22, there is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. But you know, behind that rather humorous and light-hearted comment, there is a deep, serious truth. There is no peace for the wicked. And the reason the unbeliever does not have peace is not because he or she or the world generally does not consider peace to be important in fact great efforts are made to find peace there's an almost universal desire for peace people prize above everything peace of mind that inner tranquility but it's elusive people people just can't seem to find it And uh, the Bible says in Isaiah 59 verse 8, the way of peace they know not. Jesus said that man does not know the way to peace because the things that make for your peace, they are hidden from your eyes. You see man by nature is blind to the true way to peace. The great American General MacArthur in his farewell speech to Congress was bemoaning, the, uh, was bemoaning war. It's strange how men of war, professional soldiers are the ones who are often most against war. But General MacArthur said this in his final speech. He said, Military alliances, balances of power Leagues of nations, all in turn, failed, leaving the only path to be by the way of the crucible of war. The utter destructiveness of war now blots out this this alternative. We have had our last chance. If we will not devise some greater and more equitable system, Armageddon will be at our door. And this is so interesting what he said next. He said the problem basically is theological and involves a spiritual recrudescence. That's a bad thing that keeps reoccurring. An improvement of the human character that will synchronise with our almost matchless advances in science, art, literature and all material and cultural developments of the past 2,000 years. It must be of the spirit if we are to save the flesh. Well, that's an amazing thing for a a general to say, isn't it? Very wise words. But the fact of the matter is is that there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. And in our text today we see some vital truths regarding this issue of peace, this prized and elusive and most sought after thing. MacArthur could see that war would continue unless the internal spiritual and theological problem of the human character was addressed. It must be of the Spirit if we are to save the flesh. I wonder if he'd been reading Isaiah. Because what comes across loud and clear in our text today is the basic incompatibility of peace and sin. Peace and sin cannot live together. There is no peace if you are wicked And the wicked, in biblical terms, are all those who have transgressed the law of God. Which means every single one of us, born into this world by ordinary generation, are wicked. We are all lawbreakers. We are sinners guilty before God, with a dreadful record of sin before God and and an unclean heart before God. And the people that Isaiah was addressing were in in a very advanced state of wickedness. They lived in open, public, shameless sin. Which is remarkable as they were meant to be the people of God. But they were as bad as the pagan nations around them. They were the covenant people of God. But instead, in verse 5 of this chapter, it says, they inflamed themselves with idols under every green tree. They were meant to be the separate holy people of God, setting an example to the nations. But they indulged in the promiscuity of idol worship. They even engaged in child sacrifice Causing their children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Instead of trusting in God, verse 9, they sought the aid of foreigners and debased themselves even unto hell, the scripture says. And then in verse 12 of this chapter, despite all of their sin, they refer God to their righteousness and good works. And with bitter irony, God says, I will declare thy righteousness on thy works, for they shall not profit thee. Now we may not be so forward in our sin as that, but the truth is, as the Apostle Paul said, there is none righteous, no, not one, not one single person can say that they are righteous that is why there is no peace to the wicked if we are wicked or unrighteous there is no peace for us there is an incompatibility between sin and peace and this truth is illustrated in verse 20 by a very vivid metaphor Where it says, but the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. I mean, has there ever been a better description of the human heart outside of Christ? This is a perfect picture of the state of the sinful heart. It's similar to Jude's description of wicked men in his day. Jude 13 talks of raging waves of the sea foaming out their shame. You see, the human heart is not a peaceful place by nature. It is like the sea in a storm. The human heart is not a clean place. It casts up mire and muck and silt. I'm sure we can all imagine the scene. The sea crashing against the rocks, bringing up the silt. You see, the, the ocean is subject, the oceans are subject to a law or a power called tidal force, which is the combination of the Earth's gravity and the gravitational pull of the moon. And the human heart is like the sea. It's subject to a law, the law of sin and death. And there can be no peace while the heart is still subject to this law of sin and death. And you know, a moment's honest reflection will confirm the truth of this. I'm I'm, I'm here talking to... uh, To those outside of Christ who do not know Christ, your sinful passions come like crashing waves against the rock and bring up all sorts of filth and mire deep within your life, within your soul. You are like the restless sea because these passions can never really be satisfied. And despite your best intentions to improve you find yourself subject to a law that you cannot control. A power which is stronger than you and which always gets the better of you in the end because there's this basic incompatibility between peace and sin. How can I be at peace? Peace. When this lust within me, this lust keeps returning. A lust that I can never satisfy. And it seems the more that I give in to it, the stronger it comes back. I try and clean myself up. And I somehow cast the demon out for a while. But then seven more wicked demons come back. Which are more wicked than the one... That was there before. And your heart may be like the troubled sea. Because you have a problem with anger. You flare up. And you heat up. You're good at that. But you can't cool down. Other people feel the force of your anger. And you're like the wild sea. And even worse is when you hang on. To grudges and plan your revenge you don't forgive and you don't forget and you won't back down do you honestly think that you could ever live in peace with a heart like that there is no peace saith my God to the wicked or you may be filled with envy and jealousy you want what others have but what you can't have You want their gifts and recognition or you are suspicious and paranoid and you always have to assume the worst and you haven't bewared the sin of Cain. So how envy can eat us up when we're envious. There can be no peace within us. You won't have any rest, that's for sure, because it'll come crushing in like a wave time and time again. Envy eats at the heart. Or it may be greed, greed for wealth. You could be gripped by avarice and never get free from it. Or you may not care about things so much as you love the praise and the honour of men and you are gripped by pride and you live for the compliments of others and you can never find peace if you're relying on the affirmation of other men. You don't know peace, dear friend, because like the sea, you are governed by a tidal force called sin. And Satan will not give you any peace. And your sin will not give you any peace. And you will live your life and your heart will be like the troubled sea. Casting up mire and dirt time and time again. Because there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. That's a fundamental fact of life. Of course many do not care about their sin. And like the uh, people we've read in Isaiah 57 or some of them, uh, you sin with a high hand. you seared your conscience. God puts within every man a natural alarm system uh, called the conscience. But the problem I find with alarms these days is no one takes any notice of them, do they? The car alarm is blasting the house alarm is blaring but no one ever phones the police I'm the same I think oh dear they've run out of batteries again maybe we take a notice we take notice though of the fire alarm I hope we do and if your conscience has any battery left in it at all then thank God for that and listen to it and treat it as a fire alarm because God is speaking to you today through your conscience It may be that you are troubled by your sin. Troubled in your conscience. You're you're troubled at the scale and at the number of your sins. You're astonished at the damage they have had. You regret the pain they have caused to yourself, to others. They may be very serious sins, dear friends. You may be sickened by The depravity of your sin, of your thought life, the things you've thought, let alone done. And the raging in your heart is the raging of a quickened conscience. Well I pray today that you will find by the end of this sermon joy and peace in believing. But you need to know that feeling guilty about your sins does not mean that your sins are forgiven. Feeling guilty about our sins is not enough. You see, you broke the natural law in your heart. And you broke the moral law of God in the scriptures. And the Bible says God's holiness burns against sin. Sin. God's holiness burns against the breaking of his holy and righteous law. And although you feel guilty, although your conscience is is giving you terror, you are still wicked and there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. You see, promising God to improve, being more self-disciplined, attending church, offering prayers and trying to compensate for all the things you've done wrong make things even worse with god because by the works of the law so shall no flesh be justified sin and peace cannot live together man is in the grip of a storm rolled this way and that by the billows of his passions and yet sometimes there is this longing for peace for rest and at times he wants someone to calm the winds and the waves I find that most people are um, well let's say they're ambivalent about peace there's a desire for peace, but actually, many people can't bear to spend any time alone with their thoughts, without, any time without books and technology and company. For, for a lot of people, that's hell. Even at a low level, you get some people coming from London and into the country for a holiday, they can't stand it. They can't live without the background noise of the bus and the tube. But most people, at least sometimes, have a sense of something lost. They have a kind of primitive, innate feeling, like a childhood memory. You can't quite recall. It's in the back of your mind. You can't recall it enough to explain it but it is somehow comforting it's there in the back of the mind like a a childhood recollection of of a secret garden you see the fact of the matter is that man had peace but he lost peace and like a Jungian dream Eden still speaks of a a lost garden home to us, at least sometimes. We read of this loss of peace in Genesis chapter 3. Man sinned, and immediately peace with God and the peace of God was lost. Man felt naked for the first time. Upon hearing the voice of God, they once so loved. They hid among the trees and they began to prefer the darkness and the shadow of the trees because they preferred darkness to light because their deeds were evil. And they soon blamed each other. Before God there was accusation and fear. The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. And things deteriorated so quickly. The first murders, we get Cain and Abel, envy, jealousy, rage, malice, evil speaking. The world soon became like a raging sea, casting up mire and dirt. It could not rest. The Apostle James put his finger on it in chapter 4, verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? You see, you'll never have peace while you live in your sin. Because sin, your sin, has put you in a wrong relationship with God. And there can be no peace while you are at odds with the God who made you. You see, just like God created the laws of physics and he put his laws into the world, so he has put laws into you. And every time you sin, you are fighting against God and you are violating the laws that he put within you. And we can only have peace if we live by the laws of our true being. And that dear friend is what General MacArthur was close to understanding I think. That the real problem of our lack of peace. Is that we are in a wrong and unnatural relationship with God. And sin has ruined our relationship with God. And yet if we listen to our hearts. If maybe maybe your heart through your restlessness through your troubled conscience, maybe through some very strange providences and circumstances that have happened to you recently, maybe even through your suffering and pain, all those things are saying, there must be something more than this. Francis Thompson, the poet, wrote a famous poem Called the hound of heaven and uh, it speaks of God's pursuit of a human soul and uh, it says I fled him that's God I fled him down the nights and down the days I fled him down the arches of the years I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of mine own mind and in the midst of tears I hid from him You see, so often sinners hide and shut out the voice of the pursuing God, the hound of heaven. But you cannot hide from God forever. King David wrote in 139, Whither shall I go from thy spirit or whither shall I flee from thy presence? And God's voice, God's voice to the sinner Sometimes it's, it's, his voice is like that annoying radio that someone's left on. You, you, it's not very loud because you're, you're a long way from it but it's just loud enough to disturb you. It's only a faint noise, a noise but it's there in the background of our mind. But the sound is, is of, of a far more majestic kind than the radio. It speaks. Of another world. It speaks of better things. It speaks of paradise. It speaks of home, a home that we have lost. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mare Christianity If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. It's true, isn't it? In his Confessions, St. Augustine of Hippo wrote, Thou movest us to delight in praising thee, for thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. You see, Augustine said, We're made, we're formed for God. And there's not going to be any peace until our our relationship is right with God. Live in any other way, and you are like the restless sea bringing up the mud and the mire. The Westminster Larger Catechism, question one and answer one, says, What is the chief and highest end of man? Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. That's why we were made. Another great truth we see in this 57th chapter is that God has created a way for man to have peace what wonderful news there is no peace saith my God to the wicked but in great contrast in verses 1 and 2 it teaches that despite the persecution of the righteous by the wicked the righteous enter into peace they shall rest in their beds each one waking walking rather in his uprightness no peace to the wicked but there is peace to the righteous they shall rest in their beds they shall enter into peace that verse reminded me of the great bishop Dr. Nicholas Ridley 1555 one of the Oxford martyrs who was sentenced to burn at the stake for his Protestant faith and on the night before his execution, his brother offered to stay with him, to give him comfort. And Dr. Ridley declined the offer, saying, I intend, God willing, to go to bed and sleep as quietly tonight as ever I did. You see, it's only the righteous that can sleep like that. So I'm forced Verse 8 says, I will both lay me down in peace, and sleep only makest me dwell in safety. You see, God has made a way for a man to have peace. Verse 19 reads, I create the fruit of lips, peace, peace to him that is far off And to him that is near, saith the Lord, and I will heal him. You see, there is none other way to have peace than the gospel of peace. By his almighty power, God creates the fruit of the lips, which we know from Hebrews 13.15 means praise and thanksgiving. There's a similar verse in Hosea 14.2, which uses the image of calves or, or meat. But it's the same principle. God creates produce or the product of a pardoned heart is a praise. The fruit of the lips. And the subject of their praise is this peace to those who are near and to those who are far from God. Paul heavily borrows from this passage. In his glorious letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made one, both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man so making peace and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross having slain the enmity thereby and came and preached peace to you which are afar off and to them that are nigh What a glorious thing this is today, dear friends, that through Christ, God has made a way for peace. The great highway that Isaiah spoke so often of, in verse 14 of our chapter, it says, Cast ye up, cast ye up, prepare the way, take up the stumbling block out of the way of my people. In other words, the highway must be cleared. For the one who is coming to bring peace. Christ must come. Messiah must come. To break every barrier down. Between man and God. And between man and man. He has broken down the middle wall of partition. The enmity is gone. The enmity between Jew and Gentile. And all other enmities. And most importantly of all. Christ has made reconciliation between man and God. And those in Christ have peace with God. They have legal peace with God. And they have subjective peace with God. Christ is the Prince of Peace. The heavenly choir around the shepherds in the Nativity story sang Glory to God in the Highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And this peace, as we we just read in Ephesians, was achieved how? By the blood of his cross. We are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. Jesus has reconciled us to God. He has dealt with the hatred, he has dealt with the enmity, he has made the way and that is the good news of the gospel Paul in Romans 10 verse 15 calls the gospel the gospel of peace through Christ and his cross this morning this day you a sinner can be made righteous in God's sight and therefore come into peace with God there's no greater message than that in the whole world Jesus even gives us that inner peace and rest for which our hearts crave. It's the rest of sins forgiven. The stilling of the raging sea, of your passions and of your pride. Through Christ the law of righteousness is is built into you. And that law of righteousness is stronger than the law of sin and death. And you're given a new nature, you're given a new heart with different powers, with different passions and you suddenly find that you have a heart after God and you become a new creature subject to a different law. Dear friends, this is the new birth and the troubled sea of your life can know calm and rest things that you have never known before. Strictly speaking, the sea won't always be calm but your heart will be calm in the midst of the storm. Jesus doesn't, the Lord God doesn't necessarily change the world around you but he changes you in the world. Jesus said, peace I leave with with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Peace, peace in this, in this dark world of sin. We can have peace in this world. Well, what about you today, dear friend, as we close? Do you know this peace with God? Do you know this peace within? Or are you like the troubled sea? Are you still full of sin? Are you full of fears within and fears without? Are you afraid of life? Are you afraid of death? That undiscovered country whose born no traveler return. The Christian is one who with Paul the apostle can face life and death in peace persuaded deep within our souls that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of god which is in christ jesus our lord if you want that in your life dear friend Then come to the Prince of Peace today. Now, this very moment, come to him. And he will will give you peace with God. And he will give you the peace of God. Amen. Amen. Feel free to contact us at Sovereign Grace Church in Tiverton. Email us at grace2seekers.com at gmail.com, that's grace2seekers at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can visit our website at www.sovereigngracereformedchurch.co.uk.